0: morning hear from the word of found in luke chapter 10 verses 38 to 42 and daniel chapters 1 and 8 to 16 as jesus and his disciples were on their way he came to a village where a woman named martha opened her home to him she had a sister called mary who sat at the lord's feet and listening to what he said Uh, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, William. Good morning, uh, Lord's love. I'm glad you're able to make it into this uh, Sunday service. Uh, If you've been joining us for a little bit, uh, we just finished our sermon series, our Through Missions Month, just last Sunday. And then next week, we're going to transition into Advent. Uh, We'll be going to our Advent series already. As four weeks count down to Christmas, you're like, that's news to me! Yes, the year is... Uh, coming to a close, and we're going to celebrate and rem- um, and rejoice uh, and and remember as we wait uh, for the coming of Christ uh, together. But today, I'm very happy, and as a community, we're thankful to have Reverend Nathan's son and his wife, uh, Christy, or uh, Nathan's son is Christy's husband, <laughs> as, as well, the other way around, uh, for them to join in our community, for, hi- for him to come and share a message with us. I've known Nathan uh, for a few years now. Uh, I first met him when he was serving down at New Alliance Church down the block. He was there for eight years, and for the last year, you're coming up to two years now? Uh, he's been serving as a youth pastor down at Fraserlands, uh, down at Marine Drive and Kerr area, uh, River District area. So let's give a very warm welcome, LLC welcome to uh, Pastor Nathan.
2: Well, good morning, everybody. So happy to be with you. I'm very thankful that uh, Pastor Doug has invited me to speak. And uh, yeah, like he said, everything that Pastor Doug said about me is true. <laughs> I'm currently at Fraserlands. I'm one of the pastors there. And uh, I primarily oversee the youth ministries at the moment. So uh, please bear with me. I've been speaking to youth for about two years now. And so I'm a little bit out of practice when it comes to talking to youth adults, but I know that you guys will be able to catch on. Uh, Let me just pray before we begin. Lord, we just want to thank you. um, and Truly how great it is, you know, when we begin to uncover or discover or rediscover just how great your love is for us, and I ask that, God, you would center us on that today. As we receive your word, I pray that your spirit would just be with us that you would speak, that you would convict, that you would convince, and that you would transform. And I just give the following time in your hands. I pray this in your name. Amen. As I understand, uh, Pastor Doug mentioned that you guys have just been coming out of a series on missions in October and have kind of been going through some of the core values that you guys have as the church and as I was thinking about and, and talking to Pastor Doug about what he wanted me to speak on, I kind of wanted to piggyback off a little bit about some of the things that he has brought up and reminded us of and try to jump in a little bit and maybe help uh, just kind of bolster some of the seams about, you know, how do we live, live our lives as people today who are following Jesus? Right, and, and you guys had used this statement that missions is not only about the external activities, but an extension and overflow of who we are and what we believe internally. So in other words, right, uh, kind of from that mindset that our beliefs ultimately shape our behaviors. And that's the way that we want to live as people. Um, and so another way that we can maybe shape that, as Francis Chan likes to say, is that we don't have to be on a missions trip to live with a missions mindset. And I think that's really vital for who we are today in the way that we represent and um, just be a a witness for Jesus in, in a world that I think desperately needs it. So in light of that, then, you know, we understand that the way that we live every day matters. How we carry ourselves from the moment that we wake up to when we go to sleep, all of that is important. So when you think about this for a second, in the span of a week, Uh, So there's 168 hours in a week, right? And we'll spend maybe about 40 to 60, depending on who you are, of those hours sleeping. And so that leaves us with about 100 give or take hours where we are awake. And so in those 100 hours that we are awake, there's, I would say, I think many of us would spend about 20 to 60, sometimes even 70 or 80 hours either working or in school or doing some kind of task that requires us to Put energy and effort and work into, right? So that's that's a lot of time for us to keep track of if we're to think about all of these hours that go into our days and weeks. About how do we live in a way where our behaviors are shaped by our beliefs? That we have this missional mindset that's kind of ingrained and embedded into us, uh, without necessarily having to think about it as a separate entity of who we are. Because missions is. Is built into who we are as as Christians. So today, my goal is to talk a little bit about these areas of our work, of our school, about how we can perhaps maybe uh, redeem or remodel or re-understand what God's design is for us in these areas of life so that we can be a witness for Him. In other words, I like to phrase it this way to a lot of my youth is, how can you be an influencer for Christ's kingdom in the things that you are already doing? How can you bring kingdom influence to your home, to work, to school, to your everyday life? So I want to go over a couple of things to frame, uh, the, the, just, just to frame our terms for how we're going to talk about today. So when I use the word work today, I will refer to it as a few things that hopefully all of us can relate to. So when I say work, I could mean vocation. And that might mean, you know, what we believe God's calling on our lives to be. Our our vocation often is sometimes seen as like, oh, we feel that this is what God has made us for, put us on this planet for. This is our our calling, so to speak. Uh, Sometimes work can refer to things like our jobs or our careers. And so while maybe that is not necessarily what you feel God's calling on your life is we still do work and we do jobs that carry us through in this particular season in life. And these are all important. Work could also refer to our education, our training. I know some of us are in school. Some of us uh, maybe have spent a lot of years in education and training, and, and that is work as well. And finally, I would also refer to work as just like the tasks and the chores that we have to take care of every single day, changing diapers, right? doing dishes, taking out the garbage, all those kinds of things that require us to, to do every single day, otherwise life kind of comes to a standstill if we don't take care of these things. So I wanted to frame our understanding of work in this way because, I, I, first of all, like I said, I, I recognize that not all of us are in the same stage of life. And I want all of us to be able to come in line with what God's speaking to us today. And so I think that in this way, when I say work, there's a way for us to kind of come into the picture a little bit. So we're going to start from a very broad stroke, and then we will work our way through a couple of specific things that I really feel God has been speaking to me about in the last year, and hopefully I can uh, kind of pass on to, to you as a way of reminders and encouragement. So, as people who follow Christ, you know, we we believe that one of the beautiful things uh, that God gives us in the gospel is that he gives us purpose to all areas in life that we otherwise wouldn't have if we weren't followers of Jesus, And I believe that work is actually part of the DNA of God's creation. It was built into who we are as people who bear the image and the likeness of God. Even before the fall of mankind, we see that God had assigned Adam and Eve to look after the garden. And so a lot of us need to come into this place where I feel maybe we need to, in this season, redeem the idea and understanding of work and its purpose in our lives. And so while this is not necessarily our focus or our aim today, I wanted to mention to us that one way the gospel can influence us or one way that we can be a witness for Jesus is by shifting or altering what we do whether that's in our education, that's in our job, or just outright our career, sometimes God brings us into these radical shifts and changes of our education and our employment because we think that God has called us to something greater, to serve Him in a greater purpose that might not necessarily be what we had originally wanted to do or originally intended to do. And ultimately, right? if we think about our mindset as like God is to be glorified ultimately in everything that we do, Sometimes that will happen. Sometimes we have in mind that we want to go down a specific pathway in our lives, but God said, no, uh, I want you to glorify me in this way, and that shifts our entire trajectory in our lives. For example, when I was younger, I kind of wanted to be a rock star, and I I thought that I could do it. And God clearly said to me, nah, you probably are not going to be glorifying me a whole lot with that kind of a lifestyle, and so I actually have better plans for you. So I, in my mind, wanted to be a rock star, but I ended up being a pastor. How great is that? That is so, oh yeah, Thank... I'm very thankful to God for that, actually. Saved my life. Um, but so, so that's one way that the gospel can completely alter or change the way that we go about just how we launch ourselves into our lives. And and so having mentioned that, I I do want to encourage us to always be seeking what God is saying to us in every season of life. Because we never know, right? We, We can always be going through years and years of work and if God decides, hey, in this season of life that is upcoming, I want you to serve me in something different, something better, something greater, something more challenging, we ought to listen and see what he says. And so while the gospel can profoundly alter our career paths, I think more often than not, which is where we will bring our focus for today into, I think that the gospel gives us values and guidance in doing things that we are currently already doing. The gospel gives us values and guidance in things that we are already doing. For example, I want to bring up, and I'm thankful, I think the gentleman's name was William, who read our scripture this morning. Our first example, I wanted to kind of bring to us a story that many of us are familiar with, and that is with Martha. You know, I think generally speaking, when we look at this story, we kind of compliment Mary, and then we kind of criticize Martha as if there was a preference of being one over the other. But every time I read this scripture in the past however many years, I don't know about you, but I tend to relate better to Martha than I do to Mary. I think the speaker agrees with me. Um, And, and, you know, so like I I feel a lot more like Martha most of my days than I do with Mary. And, And so I think like it's important for us to understand that while even Jesus seems to say, hey, Mary has kind of chosen the better portion of sitting and being um, with him and listening to his teaching, when we understand and approach the character of Martha, I think there are some valuable things we can learn. Do I need to, sorry, I just want to make sure. I'm good. All right, thanks. So I just want to look quickly again at Martha for today to hopefully help us understand a couple of things that I think we could take away from in this person. Right, so as we read, Jesus and his disciples were on their way, and they were invited by Martha. They were invited by Martha to her home to have fellowship, to have dinner, to have a time and, and get together. And so while Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, listening and spending time This is where I think a lot of us can come into relating to Martha. We read that Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And so in Martha's mind, when she extended the invitation out to Jesus and his disciples to come spend time, hey, come be at our house, come be at our place, we'll throw a dinner for you, we'll make food, we can be together, we can spend time together. Won't that be so meaningful? And so when Jesus comes and his disciples are there, Martha then, in her mind, she has the expectation that this particular visit needs to go a certain way. And in order for her to feel like she's a good host, a good friend, a good servant, whatever you want to say, in her mind, a certain things needed to play out a certain way, and this became her distraction. And so it says that Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. In other words, Martha was distracted by all the work that had to be done. How many of us feel like that sometimes? Right, when Whether we're at church, at home, at work, whatever it might be, we look at the list of things that we need to do, the, the tasks that have to be completed, and that becomes our, our attention, our focus, and we are so hyper-fixated on it that we cannot even think about the things that are actually important in the moment. That was Martha's distraction. And so when Jesus addresses Martha oh, getting too far ahead. When Jesus addresses Martha, there are a couple of things that I want to remind us of. First of all, Jesus never said that Martha was doing a bad job. Jesus also never told Martha to stop because i think like when we compare like the way that we usually read this story is that we compare mary and martha to each other when they're completely different people and i think it's important to note that jesus never actually tells martha that she was doing a bad job what she what jesus addresses wasn't the work that martha was doing he was addressing the heart from which she was she was doing it from and I think that for a lot of us, in our work that we do, it's not so much about becoming like a Mary, because if we were all like Mary, I think the world would stop, like nothing would ever get done. Things would get left out, and garbage would never get picked up, and the world would basically stop turning without our Marthas. And so a lot of times, when, let's say you're invited to a friend's house, right, if, if We're just Marthas, then it's like, oh, where's the water? Where's the snacks? Where's the, like, who creates the environment and the hospitality that we can feel welcome and taken care of? So Jesus addresses her heart, not her work. And this takes Martha quite a while for her to learn and understand what Jesus really means because this was one of the first encounters that we have with Martha in the Gospels. Even later, up until the point of when we read about Martha and Mary's brother Lazarus dying from illness, even then she was still distracted about the works, like saying to Jesus, Jesus, you are late. It's too late. My brother Lazarus has died. In that sense, she was still concerned about some things and the work and the, the, the expectations that were clouding her judgment and the way that she needs Jesus to perform or act or deliver certain expectations. But it wasn't until after Jesus had finally raised Lazarus from the dead that we begin to see Martha start to realize what was truly important in her mind. And I believe we're going to make a quick switch here, so just give me one sec. Thanks. All right. Ooh, hello. So just to kind of reiterate that point, it took until Jesus does something absolutely incredible, something that was completely out of Martha's control, right? Because you could look at the dinner as one way, okay, maybe I could have made the water a little bit warmer. I could have brought better selection of tea or maybe a better selection of bakery, baking and and food and stuff like that. And and Martha would still think that there's a way that she could control and manipulate the outcome of who she was as a host and the work that she was doing. She wanted to hear the words, good job. But it wasn't until something that was completely out of her control, Lazarus' death, where Jesus begins to work in a way that says, hey, there are things that you have no control over, and you have to leave that to me. It wasn't until Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead that we start to see a shift in Martha's heart. And though, we, so we're not going to go over the entire passage today, but I would encourage you to read through John chapter 11 in John chapter 12, because the sense that you get after Lazarus is raised from the dead is so different. And so just to kind of summarize, so this is after Jesus performs the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. We read in the beginning of chapter 12 in John, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus raised from the dead. And now we enter into another scenario where it says a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And what do we read next? Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. So Martha did not go through a radical change in the way that she carried herself. She did not suddenly need to become Mary and just say, I'm going to sit at Jesus' feet and just be here and listen, because we see later Mary actually anoints Jesus with her oil, and that was her way of worship. But for Martha, fundamentally, what was important to her was her ability to serve. And if you read the whole chapter, you just get this sense that even her attitude and their approach is completely different because now they've gone through something to understand and realize just the impact that Christ has on our hearts. And so the gospel reshapes our hearts to do the things that we love, do things in love rather than obligation. And so I kind of want to start there, and as we go into the next bit of our um, understanding of how the gospel shapes the way that we work, I think that a lot of us look at something like this, and we understand, yeah, okay, it's great, right? It's nice. It's great that that we want to serve and act and and live in this way. Like, obviously, this is the ideal. We want to be people who act out of love rather than obligation. We want to be gracious rather than bitter. But oftentimes we think about all the exterior factors, all of the things that we can't control, like in Martha's situation, the death of Lazarus. And we think about all of these factors and pressures and stresses that really we think at some point it squeezes us to to live and act and behave a certain way and, and feel like we are having to follow through with these practices and standards, that it makes us feel like living like that is difficult, that working like that is difficult, right? You think about your job and your school, and it's like, oh, but everybody is doing this a certain way. Everybody is acting like this in a certain way, so I have to do that. Otherwise, I will be out of a job. Otherwise, I will not perform the standard. Otherwise, I will not be like everyone else, and that's often the mindset that we, we develop so deeply inside of us that we don't even think about it anymore, that we don't even think about how we approach our work, how we approach our school, how we approach the basic things and fundamentals that we do. And so that's why I think Daniel and his friends gives us a great example of how we can live obedient and faithful to God in a place that is difficult to, where everything around us, everything outside of us seems to be pressuring us, pushing us to conform to a certain type of lifestyle, but we don't have to. So I just want to quickly go over the scripture again, and then I'll point out a couple of things that I think could be good takeaways for us. So Daniel chapter 1 in verse 8. Um, Just as a quick up-to-date, Daniel was an Israelite. And at this point of their history, we read that the nation had been taken over by the Babylonian Empire. And having basically been uprooted from their home, the Israelites are now living as foreigners or aliens, as sometimes people would say, as people basically who don't belong in Babylon. And because of that, um, King Nebuchadnezzar, he had some officials go into the Israelite people and try to bring out a few of the more qualified ones, if we can say it that way, some of the more capable ones. And King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to basically train and develop these Israelites to basically become people who are like Babylonians, who could live like them, who could represent and and be officials for the king. You know, maybe the king had his agenda and had his way that he wanted to kind of develop this and and basically kind of win over the Israelites or, or however you want to put it. But here we find that basically the official that the king had hired was to give Daniel and his friends a certain lifestyle. And, it you know, if you look at it, believe me, it is a very... Uh, extravagant lifestyle where they're basically given lots of food to eat. They're to live and train and to learn in the king's kind of uh, influence under the realm of his, his power so that they could develop and grow with all the privileges that they could have access to. And so after this kind of a lifestyle was presented to Daniel and his friends, we read this passage. It says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked a chief official for permission not to defile him that way. And now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? So he thinks that if Daniel doesn't conform to living and eating and being this way, that he will be worse off compared to the other ones who are in training, who get all of those things. And so the official says, the king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see." And so he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. And so the guard took away their choice food and wine, and they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. I think that a lot of us often feel challenged with living our, and doing our work based on the culture or the society that we're living in. Whatever field we're in, whatever type of work that we're in, a lot of us feel like there are societal and cultural practices and pressures that push us to live and conform a certain way. I mentioned at the beginning of our time together that I wanted to be in music. I'll just put it that way. And if you have been in that kind of a environment before, you know that the music culture is not necessarily very healthy. Sometimes athletes also talk about athletic culture being very unhealthy as well. And so, you know, there are lots of these kinds of external pressures that make us or pressure us to do and live a certain way. And sometimes we unknowingly conform to them without even, right, being aware of it. So I think I wanted to point out a couple things from Daniel's example, Daniel and his friends, that I think are key values that demonstrate not only how they approached their work as government officials and training, but how they could live in obedience to God in a society that, was, that wanted nothing to do with what they believed. And so in Daniel's heart, we see... That he resolved not to defile himself with the royal food, and I I do like the way that the New King James kind of puts it is because it says Daniel purposed in his heart. So this means that when Daniel was presented with this lifestyle, he didn't just spontaneously or or like kind of out of a out of a whim make the decisions like no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. I I don't want to do that. It, it was something that was calculated. It was something that was prayed over, as we know that Daniel is a man of prayer. It was something that took time for him to arrive at this conclusion. You know, because oftentimes when we look at our jobs and we look at our work, when we're presented with a raise, oh yeah, give me that raise. When we're presented with the bigger office, the one with the river view window, oh yeah, let's take that. Oftentimes, we we engage in these kinds of things without knowing, without even thinking. I'm not necessarily saying it's bad, but when we think about and pray about, you know, what does God really want us to focus on? What is God's emphasis for me in this place and how I can give him glory? We really need to take the time and the energy to pray through what truly is best. And so that's why Daniel's decision was not something that was just made without even thought. He had purposed in his heart that he wouldn't want to defile himself. And and not only that, but because the Israelites had strict diets. And Daniel wasn't about to compromise everything that he believed in just because he has the ability to do it now. And so this is a big lesson to all of us. That just because you can doesn't mean you have to. Just because you can doesn't mean you have to. And so that's why I want us to think about this. Are there things that you do just because you can and are not necessarily helpful or healthy? Are there things that we currently do in our lives just because we can, maybe we don't think much about it, but they're not necessarily helpful or healthy to us or the people around us? Or if anything, do they make us look better rather than make others look better? And I think that was really important for Daniel to have prayed through this lifestyle that was now presented to him. Next, I think that Daniel's respect and modesty is truly on display here. Right, So we say that just because you can do something doesn't mean you have to. But what's equally impressive for Daniel is not just the fact that he turned down the food and the wine. It was the matter of how he went about it. And this is something that my dad told me a lot growing up. He said, it's not just about what you do, it's about how you do it. It's not just about what you say, but how you say it. And so while the... Um, the easy way out for Daniel would have just been like, no, I do not agree with this lifestyle. Please respect my differences. That's the easy way to do it, right? That's the easy way for Daniel to just say, no, we have to agree to disagree. You give this to me, but that's not the way that I do it, and so please leave me alone. Right? That, that's the easy way to do it. But instead, we actually see Daniel invite the official into a kind of middle ground or maybe a third option, as some people would say, and say, hey, he asks for permission and saying, like, thank you for offering this to me. But is it okay that if we don't engage in this kind of living, if we don't engage in these kinds of dietary privileges? Right? And that's really important because a lot of times when we, as people who follow Jesus, see something that we disagree with, we either, most of the time, openly object to it by trying to fight back and push back, or we quietly abstain and just say, like, oh, it's okay. I'll just, you know, it's the, it's the like polite way of like, oh, it's okay. We'll, we'll let them do it. We just, we'll kind of stick to our corner. Most of the time, that's what we do. But Daniel shows us that sometimes we need to consider a third option where we actually politely and humbly engage in an option that might not have been explored. And so when the official pushes back and saying like, no, I gave these things to you, the king's going to have my head if you don't eat it, especially if you guys turn out worse than what, what you're supposed to. And I find that Jesus was a master at doing this. And how we express our differences, how we express our allegiance and faithfulness to God is just as important as the ability to distinguish the differences. Out of that humility and, and kind of willingness to engage in conversation, comes this expectation that Daniel has that God will move. And I think that sometimes that is our struggle, is that we don't necessarily expect God to show up. We don't necessarily expect God to come and do something in our lives that would actually be healthier and more helpful. And and that mindset is sometimes what pushes us into these opposite ends of either openly objecting because, you know, we're too maybe stubborn to think about how to address it properly, or quietly abstaining and saying like, oh, you know, it's okay, I don't want to cause conflict, I don't want to cause problems to people. Right, it's because we don't expect God to show up, we don't expect Him to move, that we cannot find this place where we can engage people in a meaningful way. And so what Daniel says to this of this official is to say, please test your servants. So Daniel is now actually inviting the government official. He's inviting him. He's like, hey, you know, like you have one way of understanding and viewing that life is supposed to turn out this way, that the more food you have, the healthier you're going to be. But rather, come and see what happens. Daniel invites him in to say, okay, I understand, and maybe I'm not going to convince you by my words, but I want you to test us. For 10 days, give us nothing but vegetables to eat or water to drink. And it is because Daniel has the expectation that God will show up. That is incredible. That is absolutely incredible. Because a lot of us, I'm trying to put this in maybe in in a in a in a way that is is more encouraging. A lot of us as Christians today, we sit in this weird spot where there's tension pulling us in both ways about being faithful to God and and trying to stay relevant, I think. And a lot of these things we don't always have answers or responses to. A lot of these questions in life we don't necessarily have a, a proper way of responding to. And, and we, we kind of settle and it's like, okay, we'll just agree to disagree. Okay, you guys in the secular world, you go on your lane, and then we as people who follow God, we'll travel on our lane in that way. But I think that there is a better way that we can show The world, that God's way actually is the best way. And I'm going to come up on that in a second here because after the 10 days, right, Daniel says, after 10 days, compare us. We find at the end of the test in verse 17 and 20 that out of the faithfulness that Daniel and his friends showed, this is what we see. It says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind. And then verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So we actually see this result of not necessarily a separation of like, okay, the king's officials who aren't Israelites, who don't believe in God, they produce their own results, and then Daniel and his friends produce their own results. We actually see Daniel and his friends were actually better at their jobs than the other officials out of their faithfulness and their trust and obedience to God, they were better at their jobs than the people who did not believe in God. And that is absolutely amazing. That is something that I really want to encourage and hope and pray that we can truly think about and and find that not only are we as Christians kind of we're not meant to be left on our own island in this world in doing our own things. You know, we're talking about the missional mindset and we're talking about ways to, to behave it for out of our beliefs. God doesn't want us to simply settle in our own island where we do our own things, we have our own ways, we have our own things, and, and then the rest of the world is on the other island. We actually see God's people as pioneers people who are even better at certain things than the rest of the world. And so as we bring about a close in our message today, I just want to kind of reiterate a couple things for us to think about, some takeaways for us to think about and pray about and maybe just evaluate in our own lives. Through the examples of Martha and Daniel, given the perspectives that they and the journeys that they've gone through in their own lives, right? Ultimately, what is it that helps us thrive in our work? What is it ultimately that helps us be witnesses for Jesus in a world that desperately needs it? As I mentioned that we as Christians, we're not called to just be in our own lanes and do our own things, and if the world disagrees with it, fine. There's a reason that Jesus has called us to be his church, We are to go and saturate our neighborhoods, our communities, the people around us, with the way that God has designed for us to carry our lives. And sometimes, having more doesn't mean it's better. Being able to doesn't mean you have to. And we need to come with the expectation that God is working that God will show up. And when we leave the space for God to show up and that's something completely out of our control, I know it's scary. I know it can be frightening. But if we're to glorify God in everything that we do and all that we are, there is only one way. And so what will it ultimately take for us to thrive in our work? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the designer and creator of our lives, of this world, and of our work. And we thank you that through your son, Jesus, you've redeemed our need and our purpose for work as well. And I just pray that, God, as we continue to um, grow and journey along in how we carry ourselves on a day-to-day basis, may you just instill in us a sense of courage, a sense of boldness, and a sense of expectation that you will work, that you will show up, and that in everything that we do, we can glorify you. And I pray this in your name. Amen.